Big Conversations family, welcome back to another episode. Today is going to be perhaps the most unique show that we've done so far. And the reason why is because it's just you and me today. So it's been an interesting experience, you know, doing this whole podcast, having the, the platform do what it does. And I thought that um, based on some of the feedback that I've gotten from people over time, I thought it was a good idea to sit down and maybe give you guys a little bit more background on me and where I'm coming from with all these different things. Because I, I definitely say some interesting stuff and I, I bring up some different takes that aren't commonly heard, you know, on the culture, on the internet, different things like that. So it is just you and me. We're still in the follow the flow chart though. So word of the day, as always, the word of the day today is pre-offended. Pre-offended is an adjective and it's defined as being annoyed or resentful by an association rather than information. And so I know there's going to be a lot of times where even for me, people start here on the podcast, I see a title, who I don't like because he talks like Kevin Samuels or he's talking about Andrew Tate. And the thing is, when you guys get pre-offended by just the association to other things and don't actually hear out the points I'm trying to make, you're going to get a little lost. But fortunately for you, if you're listening to this episode now, follow me through. We're going to make this all make sense for you. So what prompted the topic? My experience, as I've already referenced as a podcaster, has been quite positive, I would say. You know, people have asked me all the time, oh, Ben, are you getting hate mail? Are you getting negative feedback? And to be honest, not a whole lot. What you guys see in the comment sections is pretty much the majority of what there is. However, at the same time, I'm someone who really likes to think outside the box, who really likes to to ask the questions, to say, okay, maybe no one else is talking about this. Why? No one wants to go here. Why? I want to ask those questions. I want to go there. And over one of the most recent episodes that we did, you know, we called it Are Modern People Too Soft? I got some feedback on one of the reels I did in particular, where I, I essentially made a joke about oppression of women, of slavery, different things like that. And I had a lot of people, you know, family members and whatnot tell me that they they didn't really like the look so much. And I understood where they were coming from because short form content can be a little bit misleading. But I said what I said for a reason. And I think that in this episode, we're gonna unpack a little bit more of, you know, why. So that, that, that's part of what prompted the topic. And then I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, Ben, aren't you worried about your future employer seeing this? Because you know, a lot of people know, you know, I have aspirations to make a name for myself in corporate America. And so they wanna know, Ben, you realize that this is going on the internet, this never goes away, right? I understand all that, but there's aspects to being a good leader that involve being fearless. And speaking of fearless, another thing that actually prompted the topic is Jason Whitlock. I reference Jason Whitlock a lot. He's one of the biggest influences on my current political perspective as well as in perspective in sports. Jason has a background with Fox Sports and ESPN. He worked in Kansas City. He kind of climbed his way up. He's currently doing a show with Blaze TV where he talks more about the political side of things. And then he brings on a guy named Steve Kim as well from Los Angeles, and they'll talk a lot of sports, things like that. The reason I love Jason Whitlock's show so much is because he grounds himself from kind of a biblical point of view, and he's willing to indeed be fearless. That, that's another thing that prompted the topic for me as well. So why is this important, though? Honestly, I think people need to understand that the caveats that I make or really anyone in these content spaces makes are often ignored. You know, I might say not all, or I might say a majority of the time and people hear everyone all the time, everywhere. And that's where people ended up getting confused and getting offended, different things like that. 
And on that note, most people only consume short form content. You know, people who have been rocking with me for a long time, you may remember one of the things that actually caused this podcast idea to jump off is when I did an Instagram live on Andrew Tate and my approval rating of him. The answers that I gave and the perception that I had of Andrew Tate at that time is a little bit different than what you'd hear me say about him right now. And the reason why is because at that time, I was only basing my opinion on short form content that I had seen from Tate. And so again, you know, with the podcast, I don't have the analytics in front of me, but I know that the vast majority of the traffic that I get comes from people watching reels on Instagram, watching reels on Facebook, even though we don't have a Facebook account. So that's why this is important. People aren't gonna listen to the long form content, but for those of you who are here right now, you're gonna get the better story. So what are we talking about? You know, I wanna start by going into my background, my childhood, because I'm a firm believer that you cannot swim in the water and not get wet. The perspectives I have, the way I tend to think, where I come from on things, absolutely is a product of my childhood. So, you know, when I was young, I was raised by two married Seventh-day Adventist African-American parents. I was born in New Hampshire, and um, my parents are very religious, very, I guess the term could be religiously conservative Seventh-day Adventists. So I was raised, you know, with a strong emphasis on the Bible and that God is the most important thing. My parents didn't really like to talk about politics per se. And another factor, I was actually homeschooled as a child up until eighth grade. And then in high school, that's when I started going to a private Christian academy. So, and I was raised in a rural setting and the private high schools that I went to were also in rural settings as well. So where my mindset tends to mirror someone from the country more than someone from the city, Again, I'm a product of my environment. And another thing that's interesting is a lot of times people will hear how outspoken I am about different things, politics, transgender athletes and sports, whatever. And they'll say, oh, your parents must have really just drilled this into you. No, not, not really, actually. I am by far the most disagreeable person in my family. The only, no, there isn't, there isn't one actually. Everyone else in my immediate family is gonna shy away from the, the conversation, the debate in the public. I can't get enough of it, so that's where I'm a little different. Now, specifically on politics, I think, again, a lot of people come in pre-offended, oh, you're this, you're that, Ben, you're a bigot, whatever, blind Republican, this and that. I've talked about it before. I don't claim to be down the middle. I'm definitely right-leaning a little bit, but I'm certainly not going to call myself a traditional Republican, per se, either. Now, I remember being a little kid... There was a time where certainly the thought would cross my mind, oh, as a black person in America, life is going to be different for me. Life is going to be harder. I'm going to have to work harder for the same opportunities. How much that is, how much that is or isn't true, it's hard to say. I don't think I could put a finger on it right now. But what I can definitely say is in 2008, when Obama was elected to be president, though there was a part of little Ben that was like, yes, a black man is here. We are, we're making it. Black people are on top now. And I, I was very happy and proud about that. But of course, in 2008, I, I was eight years old. I turned nine that year. So not a lot of substance behind it. It was just kind of a face thing. Over time, as I got older, and again, living in South Dakota at the time, the political perspectives of people around me certainly were, were more Republican than Democrat. And over time, as I learned more and more about his policies and got older, I kind of realized Obama may be the first genetically black president, 
but the things that he's pushing for policy-wise really don't benefit black people per se. They have more to do with the LGBTQIA, however many letters there are in our community, you know, and things like that. So by the time we got to the 2016 election, I definitely was at a point where I saw that a large percentage of the reason why Obama had been inaugurated as president before was because he was black. And I saw that a large part of the reason why Hillary Clinton was getting pushed and she had been nominated by the Democratic Party was because she was a woman. And we were trying to, you know, just ride this wave of, oh, we're so we're so inclusive and this and that and diversity, inclusion, and equity, all this other stuff, you know? We got a black man, now we're gonna get a woman in the White House. And, and just that right there made me say, hold on, wait a minute. Is there a reason why I should avoid her? I didn't vote in 2016, I wasn't old enough to. But I was pretty firmly in the Trump over Clinton camp. And it's interesting because even after Trump got elected, though, what I started to see kind of soured me on him as well. And I think going from Obama to that race of Clinton versus Trump and then Trump versus Biden really was important for me, even though it was hell for the rest of the country, because it helped me realize how much nonsense really goes on in politics, even from people who are not career politicians per se like trump himself so that's one interesting thing and now in 2020 after you know or right before the election happened because it's at the end of the year i should say or is it 2019 i can't remember anyway pretty close to the end of donald trump's term you know covid hit all this other stuff the george floyd summer did a lot to actually move me right politically and i'll tell you why so I've told the story on a previous podcast with Ron and shout out to Ron and we talked about the black community. If you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. But I was doing a door to door sales job. I was in Kansas city. So I was seeing, you know, completely white neighborhoods. Most of the time we were working a lot in like the Overland park area, which I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the five wealthiest zip codes in the United States. So I'm working there a whole lot. So in any situation where maybe knocking door to door, someone might get a little upset, they might try to call the police, I was going to be the white, or excuse me, the black man by myself in an all white neighborhood. And so I remember there was one specific incident where a lady was kind of upset with me and I wasn't rude to her, she was just upset. She ends up calling the police. And since COVID had just started, you know, we're wearing our masks and things like that between the doors. This cop pulls up. I'm scared, I don't know what to do. I try to walk quickly toward the cop, but not too quickly so he doesn't think I'm rushing him. I remember I pulled down my mask so he can see my face, and then I pull it back up so he doesn't think that I'm trying to hide or trying to get him sick either. And then long story short, this cop ends up giving me his business card and he's like, hey, there's no worries, man. Go back out there and make your money, do your thing. And so, so during the next school year, the next semester, someone actually sent me a video on Instagram telling me that Kansas City police officers were horribly racist to black men. And it had an example of a guy who I think he gets pulled over, he gets out of his car, he's trying to run away, and they chase him and they either hit him with a car or knock him over or shoot him. I don't remember exactly the details. But I came to the realization in my mind, I can either believe a video I see on the internet that for all I know could be staged, there could be a lot of factors that I don't know about, or I can go with the actual experience that I had in real life as a black man with the police. And that kind of made me say, you know what? I'm not gonna be manipulated by the media. I'm not gonna let the left try to push me into a victim mentality. And I'm just gonna stick to what I've seen and what I know. 
Now, some people are gonna say, oh, but Ben, that's just your experience. It's one time, that's anecdotal, right? Yeah, it's anecdotal. I'm gonna go with my real life over your experience on the internet. Just saying, and I'm not gonna apologize for that either. Now, let's move on a little bit here. Why did I start Big Conversations Podcast? You know, I think that free speech is something that's under attack, and I think the reason why the attack on free speech has been so successful is because there's so many people who deny that the attack even exists. So many of us sit back and say, oh, you know, the world has been great for this long, and it's going to continue to be great, and this and that, and I said what I wanted to say, so, so nothing's wrong, right? But I think what we have to understand is that free speech doesn't just mean I can say what I want to say that I like and my friends can say what they want to say that they, they like. Free speech also has to include things that maybe go against me. Free speech maybe has to include someone saying that Big Conversations podcast is dangerous. It has to include maybe that Ben is racist or different things like that. And, and I, I won't accept those labels per se. I won't call myself any of those things. But for free speech to really exist, other people have to be able to say things that I don't like. Now, one, really my first step into being a content creator, if I can even call myself that, was I first did what I called, and I'm actually doing them now again, conversation starters on Instagram. So I would pick some different titles. Let me actually, I'll find the list here. I'll read you a couple. So the first topic I did was small talk is useless. Some other ones that I did are people can change, but they don't. Now, a dumb one I did was all babies are cute. And after a while, one of my friends actually responded to a story and he said, hey, why don't you go live on Instagram sometime and kind of discuss, debate, whatever, you know, the topic that you choose. Because I'd put up a story in the morning and then in the evening I would put a little Instagram video kind of explaining my take on the issue. And so I was like, you know what, I will. And so the first one that I did an Instagram live on was the topic, if they wanted to, they would have. And I was expecting it to just be like 15 people, 10 people on, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. But this ended up actually going for over an hour and I had an average of probably 50 people in there watching and they were my friends, I'm not. I wasn't then and I'm definitely still not a celebrity. But that made me realize, okay, maybe, maybe there's some potential for me to, to have a bigger voice than just by myself in real life with my friends. Again, I don't mean to be self-aggrandizing here, but it's something I enjoy doing and I think it's something that if I'm prompting some deep thought and some new perspectives in other people's minds, I think I'm doing a good thing. So that's something I definitely wanted to do. Instagram Live, it kept going, it kept getting better and better. I got different topics, I brought some people on. I think we even did like a little Bible study one time. But then what I really zeroed in on was I decided to do approval ratings. Again, that comes from Jason Whitlock. Shout out to Jason Whitlock. But I would do approval ratings on different celebrities, different issues. And I, I talked about Kanye West one time. I talked about Andrew Tate, like we referenced before. And just anytime I had an opportunity to talk about some issue that I would hear people mumbling about in their different friend groups, but they wouldn't speak about publicly, I wanted to bring that conversation to everyone and let everyone kind of get some different sides. And I would always bring on a couple friends. And a lot of times too, I would start out with a little bit of a, I don't want to say a monologue, but I would kind of write down some notes. I would give people my thoughts on the issue. I might talk back and forth with someone on the screen. And then I would open up the call line, so to speak, bring in any random person on who was watching the live and let them, you know, weigh in on the topic as well.
So that was a lot of fun. After the Andrew Tate one that we did, several people came to me and they were like, hey Ben, this is, this is getting better and better. I think you should try to put something in permanent form content. And I was like, you know what? I thought about doing a podcast for a while anyway. I thought about trying to do like a YouTube live show as well, which also could be fun. But I think podcasts are better at this point in the game because one, it's something you can do on a lower budget. And at the same time, it's simply audio. So people can easily just pop it on instead of their music. They can listen to it on a drive, different things like that. So that's what I decided to do. And another thing that has to be acknowledged why I decided to actually pull the trigger on starting this podcast is elephant in the room, da 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 da, I'm black. And we gotta be honest here, in this modern, super sensitive, diversity focused, liberal minded, overly racialized society, I have the license to say a lot of things, especially about black people that white people don't. I grew up mostly around white people. So a lot of my perspectives, again, have been shaped by my association with white people. And I think white people sometimes have a lot of good ideas that make a lot of sense about why things happen in the black community with minorities, different things like that. And so I'll be honest about it. On some level, I absolutely am using my skin color as a shield, which lets me talk about a lot more things than I would be able to otherwise. And my thought process, again, was if I'm not able to do this as a young black man with really nothing to lose at this point in life, I don't have a family, I'm not the face of a company, nothing like that. If I'm not brave enough to say it, if I can't take on that responsibility, then who's going to? So I started the podcast. Now, one thing that I think it's important to note as well is that I'm very intentional about trying to be sensitive when it comes to comes to my presentation on different things. So, you know, I talk about how I do say some things that I might not feel as free to say. The, the white people are scared to say because of their skin color, but I am allowed to say because of mine. But it, it's not just that simple because some of the things, a lot of the things I've talked about actually have to do with gender and women, things like that. One thing that I've tried to be very intentional about doing this whole time, it's anytime I'm having a conversation about a woman about gender issues, I try to have a woman on the podcast with me talking about it. So whether it's dating or feminism, abortion, whatever, go back and listen to the episodes. I don't talk about women without a woman on the screen. You know, when we did our episode about, you know, why the black community is the way it is, I brought on my friend Ronan. Ronan, newsflash, is black. And I thought that was important as well. You know, Peyton is the one who's done the most episodes with me. And Peyton's awesome. We've all loved her around here. But I didn't think it would have been right to bring her into that conversation in a way where she would potentially be framed. As, oh, she's racist. She's talking about black people and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And, you know, it's funny because kind of the irony with that, too, is that I get the license to speak so much more about black people because people look at me and they say, oh, Ben's black, so he understands. When in reality, I don't know, Peyton might have more black friends than I do. Peyton may have seen more of what life is like for black people than Ben has seen what life is like for black people. That's neither here nor there. That's just kind of a little side note there. But, and also when I did the religious topics, you know, when we talked about why young people are leaving the church, I brought on a pastor in training. Because again, I, I try to take the spiritual side of things very seriously. I talked about Jason Whitlock earlier. I've really enjoyed his show. But one thing that I try to be very careful about is not to step outside of my, my lane of expertise, so to speak. 
So, and when it comes especially to things like the Bible, God, church, salvation, whatever, things that actually have a significant impact, I'm open to having conversations and I'm open to discussing ideas, but I want to be very, very careful about putting anything out there that could potentially point someone down the wrong road. And, you know, while we're on the topic of the Bible as well, I want to mention as well that a lot of what you're going to hear me say comes from the fact that I speak from a biblical point of view. So there's going to be some things like, for example, I believe that families are the building block of society. The families are the jumping off point for really every social issue that we can talk about today in America, around the world, whatever, it doesn't matter. And so as an example, one thing that I believe is very important is that families are built off of married, I'm going to say that again, married fathers and mothers. Now, there are some people who are going to say, hey, Ben, I mean, when you look at the landscape of today, the laws really, really disadvantage men because they were built around a time when women couldn't work, women couldn't vote. So the laws had to protect women if the man decided to go rogue and banish her or leave her for someone younger and hotter or whatever. We're not in those times anymore, Ben. So, so marriage is not important. Now, from a legal perspective, I understand what you're saying, and that may be correct on a legal level. However, the Bible speaks of the importance of marriage for families and the importance of keeping sexual relationships within marriage. And I'm not going to go off on too much of a tangent on that part, but I think it's pretty easy to see whether you want to talk about issues with grape that's a euphemism. I think you guys know what that means. I, I don't want to get this taken off the air, taken off YouTube, whatever. When you talk about that, when you talk about issues with um, consent, if you talk about abortion, really none of these issues exist on a mass scale when you're talking within the context of marriage. So again, the biblical framework is how I make my decisions. It's how I formulate my worldview. Now, if you don't take the Bible to be a final authority, some of the conclusions I draw are going to be a little shaky at best. They're not always going to make sense. They make sense to me when I look at them through a biblical perspective, and I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Another factor with the biblical worldview is the fact that the Bible teaches that all humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So while I may talk about the attribution effect, different things like that, how we should look at each other from a positive point of view, how we should put the best possible construction on other people, the fact remains that all have sinned, all are evil, all deep in their hearts are desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. And so when I think about it from that perspective, you know, people hear me say things like, oh, all politicians are corrupt. I don't, I don't trust the Republicans more than the Democrats. I don't trust the Democrats more than the Republicans. I don't believe in big government. I don't believe that individuals always make good decisions, you know, for the larger group, even parents for their families, honestly. And the big government conversation is a different one. But I'm bringing this up just to say that because the Bible says that the human heart is desperately wicked, I think that's really important to keep in mind whenever we're having conversations about social issues. I, I talk about a lot of things, but really all my nuanced conversation has to do with the social issues. I'm not trying to be a theologian. I'm not trying to be a psychologist. I'm not trying to be 
an activist or anything like that. I'm just trying to talk about the concepts of how, how we kind of relate to each other and how we can make the world, you know, a smoother, better, better place for all of us. So I want to talk a little bit now about my current political position. Not that I haven't danced around it a lot, but I think I want to just give a couple examples to kind of just give you guys a little bit more of a framework on, you know, where Ben comes from when he talks about different things. So, you know, I, I talk about the race thing a lot because I think I have personal experience with that. You know, the Kansas City, you know, police officer experience. And I had sold books door to door before that. So I've had many different experiences with being in a white area and be having a white cop called on me before. Not a criminal, but I have had the cops called on me a few times. And my experience has been overwhelmingly positive with the police. I've never been in a situation where someone has been threatening to me or made me feel unsafe, anything like that. And kind of just to, to state the elephant in the room here, I'm six foot three, 240 pounds. If there's a black man who would be physically threatening to police, it would be me. So if they're good to me, and you guys have a problem with it. It's not the police. It's you, black man. But, um, you know, I, I'm also, I heard the saying one time. Yeah, I, I heard the saying. I think I found it on, like, an internet forum. I was probably, like, 14 years old browsing bodybuilding.com, trying to figure out how to get big or something like, like most teenage boys do. And the saying, it comes from a, a guy. His first name is George. I forget his last name. But it says, I'm not saying to delete all the stupid people. I'm just saying remove all the warning labels and let nature take its course. And I think most of the time, since human beings are finite, since we don't know everything, the best course of action is really just to live and let live. Again, I talked about not being, you know, a traditional Republican. I'm not really a libertarian either. I know that that quote, live and let live kind of makes people think of that. Not really into the whole like sovereign citizen stuff either. But since none of us have all the information, what we have the privilege to do in a free society or a relatively free society like America is we get to watch how other people are living their lives. We get to judge the outcomes and then we decide from those outcomes, what do I want to do? What decisions will I make? What will I teach my children when I'm afforded that opportunity? And so just as an example, and, and actually before I say that, I want to say that I'm also entirely anti-big government. And, and the reason is very simple. The concept behind big government is that career politicians know what's good for you and you don't know what's good for you. So if they say, bring these people into your workforce, you just bring them in because that's just what it is. That That's what big big president over here, whatever they call him. That's what he said. Whether it's take this injection, take this vaccine, or I don't know, take take this medication, whatever. I'm not trying to limit this to COVID. I'm, I'm trying to talk about a concept here. The idea behind big government is that you can't think for yourself. But this person who's taking money from special interest groups who are trying to take your money, that person knows what's going on. And that person is someone you need to listen to at all times. And I just don't buy that. I, I don't think that someone from 3,000 miles away in a big city living under constant security understands what it's like to be a person living in the middle of America, in, I don't know, Nebraska, in a cornfield. Like, I, I don't think these people over here have enough of a perspective 
to make laws and to make and, and to describe an order that makes sense for someone living in an entirely different situation than them. So when it comes to national security, I appreciate the fact that our government is big enough to defend from threats from China, threats from Russia, different things like that. But on a day-to-day -day basis involved in our lives, I, I don't think the government should be too involved. I think the government, the federal government at least, should be very much hands-off to, to the degree that they can. Now, when, when we go back to the take off the warning labels kind of thing, I, I'm a little conflicted on some stuff. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of, of where I may have a little bit of a, a disconnect and where I may kind of stick strong to that. So... For me, the disconnect might be that while I see big governments as a problem, I think that drug use is one of the biggest problems that we have with people today. And I think that things like even marijuana, for example, being illegal is probably a net positive for our society. Again, I never claim to be a statistician, so don't take this and try to run with, oh, well, Ben said so it must be true. Like, do your own research. But it's my understanding that the usage of marijuana above a certain dosage over a certain amount of time, it can permanently reduce the IQ of the person using it. And that's not to mention damaging the structural integrity of your bones, so it makes you more prone to fractures because of that. And then I, I think we all just know whether whether from personal experience, not me, or from seeing other people that you know, that smoking weed tends to make people a little more lazy, a little more, ah, it's okay. Just sit back. Your life is good. You don't need to work hard. You don't need to do any of this other stuff. And I think anybody with a brain would have to acknowledge, probably not a good idea for someone who isn't already retired and probably not even a good idea for someone who is retired. And, and that's just marijuana. I think when you look at the statistics for violence, for sexual misconduct, a lot of different things, almost all of it, or I would say at least half of it is driven by alcohol. Some people aren't going to consider alcohol a drug, but don't get caught up on the specifics, the, the nomenclature per se. The concept absolutely stands. Most of the bad decisions, a large percentage of the bad decisions you see it being made by adults come as a result of substance abuse. And substance abuse causing adults to behave badly can often spiral to a level that society can't tolerate. So I think that most of the time, federal banishment, the federal government outlawing illicit substances is a good thing. However, when it comes to abortion, a lot of people are really surprised to hear me say this because based on my other, you know, Ben's is so conservative, you know, red, all this other stuff, red pill, whatever, I'm actually pro-choice. And the reason why is because I think that society can handle a woman privately going and having an abortion without other people knowing. Would I ever recommend to a young lady that she go have an abortion? No, I wouldn't do it. I think it's murder. I think you're taking the life of an innocent baby. And I think that's something that that woman is going to live with that may cause her own. She's going to experience guilt from that. She's going to experience potentially depression, mental health consequences, possibly even physical com complications from the surgery down the road. But... On a societal perspective, I'm not comfortable with Mr. President of the United States saying, hey lady, 18 year old, I am telling you what it's legal for you to go get done to your body and what's not. 
And I know some people are gonna say, oh, but the baby's not her, and you should, well, why do we protect babies who are already born, but not babies who aren't born? And you know, people will talk about a lot of different things like that. And again, it comes back to what society can handle and what society cannot handle. And, and I'll give you an example on the note, actually. So let, let's talk about robbery. Let, let's talk about bank robbery, as a matter of fact. If I sit down in my room, connected to my Wi-Fi, and I find a way on my computer to hack um, regions, to hack SunTrust, whatever, and I'm able to take a large sum of money and deposit it into my bank account from my room on my computer. No physical lives have been lost. Someone smarter than me is able to go back into the system, figure out how I got through, get the money back. Sure, I'll go to prison. I should go to prison, 100%. But not a lot of people would be in support of me being put in an electric chair for making the decision to cyber hack a bank because society can handle that. We can recover from the money being electronically moved and then moved back. Now, change the story. Let's say I put on my mask, you know, covering everything but my eyes. I take an assault rifle. I bring a couple friends with me, I bring a sledgehammer, we break down, you know, glass door, we run into the bank, we hold the tellers at gunpoint and say, hey, bring out all the cash, bring it right now. The teller hesitates, let's say one of us pulls the trigger and we, we take the life of someone in the bank. Society cannot handle that type of behavior because you cannot go back, find the key logs and bring that bank teller back to life whose life was taken. So since society can't handle that, that's something that we would not tolerate. And when someone makes a decision like that, and I guess that would be more than armed robbery, that would be armed robbery plus manslaughter. But you guys get the point I'm trying to make. I, I think a lot of times the political decisions that we have to make, or I should say the political decisions and perspectives that I will take have to do with what I believe society can handle more than what I think is personally right by my moral standards or anything like that. And that's another thing that I wish more people understood because I also believe in the separation of church and state. I think that's really important. I think that historically, when you look at governments that have been controlled by churches, they end up becoming oppressive. That's not a good thing. And again, freedom of everything is just like freedom of speech. It's not just freedom for you to do what you think you should do and you want to do. It's freedom for someone else to do something that you think is stupid, something you don't like. As a matter of fact, I'll shout out Jason Whitlock again. He says that the word freedom should be spelled F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. Freedom. With the point being that if nobody's doing anything dumb with their freedom, the question you have to honestly ask yourself is, is there really freedom here? Are we really free? So, you know... I've had a lot to say here. Don't want to take too much time on this episode, but we always have to end because this is big conversations. Remember, we have to ask the question, do I have a problem? So the question here is, do I have a problem with my critics and detractors? And the answer is no, absolutely not. I think one of the most important things for uncovering truth, remember I talked about big government and how I'm anti-big government. I'm anti-censorship. I'm anti-political correctness, all this other stuff. In order for us to come to a conclusion, we need to have open dialogue and we need to see someone like me go out in the world and live life by my principles, my truth, my standards, whatever. And we need to see what the results are from that. And we need other people to take the exact opposite approach and some people in the middle. 
and what any honest onlooker who really wants the best outcome for their own life and for other people, what they need to do is they need to simply pay attention and they need to go back and say, okay, I like what Ben did here. I don't like what he did there. What he said here makes sense. What he said there sounds like a bias. What he said here is just, you know, pressure from other people that he knows or whatever. He's just saying this because a lot of his friends are white and he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. And what he said over here is just him trying to get clicks by irritating black people or whatever. And it's, I'm saying a lot here, but that, that's kind of the point. Critics and detractors aren't just important, they're absolutely critical. In order for us to move the conversation forward effectively, we need not to have people who are just in our corner agreeing, yes, man, yeah, 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 keep saying what you're saying. We need to be challenged. And, and it's great because there have been so many times where on my Instagram stories, you know, in comments, in, in conversations in real life, I may have started saying one thing, but when I've had people respond to me in the conversation, be like, hey, Ben, that doesn't make sense because of this and logical fallacy here and you're strawmanning that and, and different things like that. It has helped me refine my perspectives down to a level where the only things that I'm saying very confidently are the things that I've really thought through and really talked about. <clears throat> now, that, that's pretty much all I have, you know, an outline here. I'll leave you guys with one more thing as well. Because I think a lot of people listen to the show, listen to me talk, see the reels, and they think, oh, Ben is, Ben thinks he knows everything, and Ben thinks he's way smarter than he is for his age, and he thinks he's had way more life experience than this and that, and who shot John? Okay, I get all that. I understand that I'm a 23-year-old man speaking. But to you, I would say, when was the last time you talked to a black woman who was single about Kevin Samuels? When was the last time you talked in real life to a Jew about Kanye West? When was the last time you talked to someone in their 90s about racism, about, about feminism, about how the world has changed over time? Have you talked to a pastor about women's ordination? See, I, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to come from a place of superiority. But what I want you guys to understand is that every opinion you've ever heard me say on the podcast about dating, about feminism, about abortion, about Trump, about police brutality, whatever. By the time this comes on the podcast, I have had the conversation with a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds. And it doesn't mean I'm right all the time. But what I can say with certainty is that nothing you're hearing from me as a, as a statement of facts is something that just comes from my own mind. I am not bringing unchallenged opinions onto the podcast because frankly, I think that's doing a disservice to my listener. So that's all I got for today. Hopefully you made it through. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And really the big takeaway that I want you guys to leave from here with is that I'm not perfect I'm not always right. I'm not an oracle. I'm certainly not infallible. But what my goal is with this is to just be transparent and be honest and to move a conversation about social issues forward in a way that I hadn't heard anyone else doing. I've told a lot of people, my idea was that if someone else is doing the exact topic, I'm not gonna podcast on it. If I haven't heard a podcast specifically on this angle of this topic, that's something I wanna do. So again, that's what I got for you today. 
keep thinking, keep listening, not only to my podcast, but to a lot of different sources. And guys, if you have any questions about anything, if you ever want to push back, don't feel like I'm not listening. I am happy to engage with you. I'm happy to have the conversation as long as it's an honest one. And I know we have the the email on the big conversations page. You can definitely send an email there. I know Peyton one time in the past had said, you know, you can DM the big conversations page. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't even run the page. I don't respond to DMs there. If you've ever gotten a DM from that page, it wasn't me. If you see the page responding to comments, again, that wasn't me, not something I do, but you can personally send me a DM on Instagram as well. And I'll try to get back to you, you know, when I can. I know this is starting to sound like a voicemail. So at this point, I'm just gonna let you go, Big Conversations family. Thanks for rocking with me again today. And as always, don't do anything that I wouldn't do.